The international HR firm LifeWorks has been studying the mental health of Canadians since the beginning of the pandemic, and each month it releases its mental health index. And it's no surprise that the overall mental health continues to decline. On the positive side, more and more businesses are realizing how critical it is to provide mental health supports. Paula Allen is Senior Vice President, Research and Total Wellness at LifeWorks. Hi, Paula. Nice to see you again. I think we've talked a couple of times over the last year and a half, I guess almost two years now. Oh, two um, years, yeah. You have released, actually, this past week, you released the December Mental Health Index. But I'm, I'm, um, I'm going to go back and just look historically at what's been happening. Interestingly, you developed all of the benchmarks leading up to 2020. So you sort of had that zero that you could start with. And I'm sure you didn't expect that the first survey you put out would be pandemic related. Not uh, at all, no. <laughs> uh, and the, the general mental health score for people has fallen over the last two years, which is expected, but there have been some ups and downs. So where are we today with how people are feeling, let's say, compared to last March? Or no, I think April was your first one. Yeah, uh, so April, the, the drop was unbelievable. Like we had a drop of almost 12 points. And just to give you a sense of what that means, uh, we start to get really concerned when we see declines of two points, because on our scale, you know, that would mean a real sort of uh, perceptible change in the mental health of the population, you know, more likelihood of, of absence, et cetera. So massive drop. Uh, and now we're at uh, 10 points uh, below the benchmark. So we have improved, but it's certainly not a massive improvement. We're still in the high risk zone. So a lot of our ups and downs have really been related to things that are happening in the environment. Our absolute lowest point, uh, was December of 2020. So that was uh, a point that was slightly lower than even in April when we first started. And I, I do think that what happened there is that we, we'd actually had in Canada a sense that things were getting better. If you recall the, the summer, uh, things started to open up, open houses started to be in person, and it, a few things started to feel like they were going in the right direction. And then we had that massive surge and we went back into a, a very high risk situation. On top of that, that was around the holidays. Uh, so people did not have their holiday traditions in the way that they wanted. So that was the low point. But since then, since we've actually implemented vaccines, we've seen the uptick, but we're still very much in a high risk zone. I, yeah, I thought that was interesting because my take in September or in the summer was that um, we uh, we weren't going to have a wave in September. I, I don't know why I thought that. I thought, yeah, 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 this isn't going to happen. Then, of course, it did. And people got a little stressed then. But I'm also interested in when we went into the winter, well, that's when we saw this really, really massive peak in the number of infections. And in Ontario, for example, we were in the thousands. And yet the mental health index did not drop um, in relation to that. And so when I've been looking at it, I'm not seeing the ups and downs that I would expect in people's mental health based on this up and down and up and down and up and down that we're experiencing as we get into I don't know, are we in, coming into the fifth wave now? I don't, I don't even know waves anymore. 
Yeah, but it, but you know what it is? It's, there's a number of things that actually come together. So even when we had that big drop in, in December, yes, we were seeing a spike in cases, but again, there, it was the holiday season, which is difficult for many people and the disruption of, 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 of holiday traditions. Um, and when we started to see that uptick, if you recall, it was around that time that we were on the cusp of the vaccine. So we were seeing the end uh, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. So human beings are, I don't want to use the word notorious because that hasn't, it, it, uh, human beings are wonderfully optimistic. Like overall, like even in the most difficult of situations, we try to see how we're going to get out. We have that general expectation. Uh, so, you know, we are looking at possibilities of, 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 you know, things settling down and really latching on to that. Uh, the, the only downside of that, though, is that when it doesn't happen, then we feel uh, quite a drop. So it'll be interesting to see what next month looks like after we have the results uh, that kind of take into account this new variant. Uh, yes, the um, some optimism is the big score for me. I think that that's where I've noticed the biggest problem for me. And of course, my, my mental health and my anxiety level specifically go up and down. Um, and, and I'm really, really affected by more and more as we go along by this optimism. And, you know, when Omicron started, it was, I just thought, not again, not, not again, again, not again. And every time I feel like I'm eroded a little bit and feeling like, okay, this, it's never going to end right now. We're seeing people having to stay home from work, you know, being encouraged to go more remote again managers are feeling a lot more like their mental health score is is eroding more yeah. than than staff now is that because of the level of stress they're feeling and, and it's part of this related to people coming back to some in-person work because we look to our managers for leadership exactly you know i've even used the word layers of stress because uh, you know the entire population has been under strain, and and you can't you can't sort of underestimate it. Even if you yourself haven't had any kind of personal crises or anything of that sort, we know that the human brain does not like change and uncertainty uh, and loss of control and risk, and these are all the things that are part of our day to day life right now. So you know, virtually everybody has had some impact, some much more than others. Uh, and then you have uh, another level. You know, we found that parents, for example, have been much more affected, again, because it's not just the base that I was talking about, what everybody is feeling, but they also have the care and control of another human being or more than one other human being and, and, and your, your child's anxieties and the practical issues and you know, just the need and the responsibility to make sure that things go as well as they possibly can. Um, and so, so similar with managers, you know, it's not just the, the stuff that you're, you're dealing with yourself and your own family, but you have the responsibility for your team. You have the responsibility for business output. You know, there's much higher demand in, in difficult times when you have a leadership role because people are anxious. They're looking for direction. They're asking questions you don't have the answers to. And in many businesses, you know, they've had to change multiple times on a dime. Like even even this uh, the situation right now, where venues um, they, they had full capacity, now they don't have full capacity. 
think of what managers have to do. And in other businesses that might not have been addressed, they're wondering what's going to happen next. So there's a lot of meetings going on in terms of contingency. So these levels of accountability are really weighing on people who have leadership responsibilities. I was speaking to a business um, strategy uh, strategist uh, who works with larger corporations. And he said to me, I don't think of CEO anymore as chief um, executive officer. I think of it as chief empathy officer. And that, that, that this, uh, and that's a complete change. I would think in, in thinking when that does mean you have to have a more connected relationship with people, I would think down the layers in, in your, your company. Um, And at the same time, the, the managers themselves have to have some specific mental health training that yes. they didn't have before to help staff. Uh, but also in the virtual work, people are experiencing a eroding relationship with their peers. Yes. Which yeah. seems, you know, which seems to have happened over time with remote working. And, and we're not seeing that go up again as people are going back to work. So I'm guessing part of that is you're not going to see a change in that right away. Or is this relationship eroded kind of more permanently? Well, it's quite possibly permanent. I'm hoping, I'm hoping not because it's a big deal. You know, when you really think about it, the work that you have, you know, the, the sense of belonging that you have with your peers, it, 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 it adds something to your life, like social support, uh, relationships. It's, it's not just about your family relationships and close friends. Again, it's about that broader circle. So, you know, you don't, what's, what's really happened over the last little while is that we've become super work efficient uh, and task focused. So what I mean by that is we're, you know, how do we get the job done? Big, big thing. We, you know, we figure out how do we have the desks set, set up and the computers and this, and we have these little meetings if we're working, uh, working from home and we are getting the job done. But those little grains of sand in terms of just your full experience. You know, you run into somebody, you, they smile at you uh, when you give them uh, something, you have a little chat because you have a, a, a two minute run in. Like all of those things it might seem super small, but they're super important. You know, it's kind of those small positive things. So these worsening relationships are not because bad things are happening between people. It's because we have a reduction in the number of good things. Yeah, once again, people um, thought, well, remote remote work, I've always wanted to do that. And people very quickly became a little bit um, disenchanted with being at home all the time. The flexibility was great, especially if you have children. The yeah. flexibility was great, but that, that missing that connection, there's no, and then I think there's a pro- probably somewhere in that feeling that we're saying, oh, even when you go back to work, it has to be six feet. It has to be this. It has to be that. So um, even going, even, even going back might not be uh, the greatest thing. I, I saw well, a study well, just, once. Well, just even on that point, you know, you mentioned, you know, when people are going back, it's not getting better. And there are people who have actually, they've always been at the work site, you know, and, and, right. and it's more strained. 
you know, it's it's not the same. Like even if you are, you know, I gave the example um, that kind of built on people working from home. But if you are going into the workplace and you know that you have, you know, all of these other responsibilities, you know, you're you're taking up emotional energy on the on the risk and not putting it into the relationship. So that's that's actually part of what's happened for people who are actually in the workplace. And the other factor is, remember when I was talking about, you know, the whole population has had this sense of, of stress and <clears throat> showing itself. So the amount of conflict, um, the lack of civility, uh, rudeness, you know, a lot of people who are in the work site are in there because they have to service the public and servicing the public has become a lot less pleasant over the last little while because of this level of edge in the general population. I think we were all, I remember myself anyway, I said, oh, you know, I'm not going to have any road anger anymore. I'm not going to be yelling <laughs> at people. At and uh, I became more um, tolerant of having to line up because what can you do? You know, you have to line up and everybody in the line is talking to each other about how polite they're becoming. Now we're all going back to what, well, I certainly am. I am all, get out of the way. What's your problem? <laughs> you know, okay, I have to go there and line up again. So, oh, I forgot my mask. And I think that that's, that's really wearing people down as, as well. Now, in the, in the business itself, I'm wondering, because I looked at the, the sort of the, the list of which industries are, are struggling the most with mental health and what, what employees are struggling the most. And I've often wondered what happens if you have staff that sort of goes from completely administrative to warehouse or maybe they're um, in, a, in a delivery system where you know their garbage pickup or something like that so you have a very very broad type of potentially mental health issues do you, and do you need to approach those differently and that puts a huge stress on on managers and businesses oh yeah yeah but but most definitely you know if you look at many of the many of the industries it's not just one type of job it's different types of jobs like even in healthcare we think of the frontline healthcare workers but you know there's administrators there's all sorts of people who are supporting our health um, it, it really is a, a a requirement i think for organizations to take the temperature of what's going on with their people. Like we've probably all heard that, uh, that saying, you know, you, you, you can't measure what you can't manage. You can't manage what you can't measure. Um, and, and it's incumbent on organizations to understand whether their people are in a good place or not. And many have really stepped up in getting that kind of feedback through pulse surveys, through listening sessions, through helping, you know, really figure out what, what is the issue that we can solve together? So I do think that actually that puts a little bit more responsibility on the ground level, the manager level, because, you know, you can have it as part of, you know, all the administrators in your, in your organization, but the execution really happens at the, at the level of the team. So um, one, uh, one approach to, to this is, is really empower managers and skill them up to figure out how to best support their particular team based on the needs of that group. And Amazon um, is one organization who, even with the return to work 
planning, they didn't do like what a lot of organizations did, which is have a broad uh, requirement. Everybody's in two days a week or three days a week, and it has to be Tuesday and Wednesday or whatever. As one example of what I'm talking about, uh, they left it up to the team. You know what you need to do. You figure out what's best for you, right? And the same from an emotional level. If you train managers to understand where those points of stressors might be at work, and also to pay attention to when you have behavior change in individuals, then you have the most powerful response. Then the managers can step in, not be counselors, but know when to seek help for their team and their people. It's a bit of a seismic change, isn't it, from where we were uh, pre-pandemic, where people were still staff and workers were still afraid to go to their manager and say, I'm, I'm really feeling uh, some depression or I'm having this high anxiety level and I need to be able to take some time off. It's not the flu. It's a mental health issue and, um, and have managers, HR people, which is, uh, is, which is what you do. Um, one of, I should say, um, that LifeWorks does. Now we're having to see that whole change in thinking at businesses and Amazon, uh, that is a great example, because when I saw that, I thought, well, because Amazon took a lot of hits during yeah. <laughs> the, the beginning of the pandemic, right, especially with infections and so on. But there are a lot of smaller businesses. So as we get smaller and smaller and smaller, how are people, I, I just don't quite grasp how we can get businesses up to speed, whether it's a retailer to an Amazon up to speed and provide the tools they need to do this training, which they, they're going to have to do, I think, at almost hyperspeed. Yeah. But you know what? I think smaller businesses have more available to them than what they realize. You know, even, even, if, it, even if they don't do anything formal, uh, you had mentioned at the beginning this whole idea of empathy and leadership. And I think, you know, just thinking about that, you know, having that as an objective, putting yourself in a place of your people, working through like this joint problem solving is, is massively valuable. You know, so you, you don't have all the answers. Your, your people aren't robots. You know, you have to, we have to work through this together. So even just, just that whole attitude of let's, let's see what's going to be best. You know, do you, if, if you need something different from me in order to do the best work, I'll do the best I can to give you that. It might not be everything. It might not be perfect, but we'll work it through together in the first step. The other thing that um, small organizations often don't realize that they have available is EAPs. Like many, or, many small organizations think that an employee assistance program is something for a big multinational corporation because it's so expensive. It's not expensive at all. It's meant to be very, very accessible. And if you even, if they have any benefits or insurance at all, you know, go to the insurance broker and see whether you even already have an EAP bundled into your plan for your employees, anyone. 
Um, and what, what EAPs will do is you can have the training, you can come in with the training, you can have maybe one person get trained as part of a group with a number of other small employers. But even if you can't afford that, there's something called a manager consultation, which is if you have that EAP relationship, your managers can call and get coaching on how to deal with specific situations and you won't be charged for it. So you're so, not, yeah. I'm sorry, go on. No, so this is, this is a huge, huge support. And I think you just need to ask the questions. And, you know, on the other side, even if you don't have it bundled into your insurance plan, even if, you know, whatever reason, you do even the, the small amount that it, it costs to actually have that available to you is something that you can't, that can't afford. There's no EAP in this country who would turn you down if you had a crisis situation and you needed support in real time. So again, it's such a wonderful thing that we have in the society right now that people underuse, utilize. So uh, uh, you're not just handed a book. You know, here it's emailed to you and, you and it's 900 pages and you can't print it out and you're looking for, and I think people, a lot of people might think that that's what they have to do, especially if they aren't larger and understand, don't have an HR department who can, who, you know, is tied into the, into the services that they can get from, you know, like an employee assistance plan. And we're all afraid that somehow we're just going to get this big book and we have to, we have to figure it out. Uh, finally, the December report came out last week, the, the newest mental health index. And over the last couple of years, each one of your reports has focused on sort of an element of, of mental health. And this time you, you looked at how people are responding to virtual mental health care uh, as opposed to in person. And as we, you know, again, up and down, as we start to think I'm going to be able to get that personal touch. Oh no, I can't. And so why, why is that important um, in terms of someone's personal as well as work life? Yeah. Um, and so the reason why we looked at it is very obviously, you know, through the pandemic, uh, virtual uh, mental health support was, was essential, right? So having that kind of um, ability to have video counseling, to have digital communication with a counselor. We just wanted to make sure that everybody had access to support and, and had access to it uh, safely. Uh, but it was also clear, even in the height of the pandemic, that, that some people, it, it really just wasn't appropriate. You know, the, the, the complexities of their situation, you know, the way they wanted to communicate or were able to communicate just didn't lend itself. You know, it was a, a small proportion, but definitely some in-person service still had to happen on a, on a, on a, on a needs basis, even during lockdowns. Um, so there's been a lot of really good things, and I'm a supportive of a supporter of, of, of digital care because I know it's effective, and I know it reaches a larger group of people. But we had to explore whether this was really going to be the majority or dominant or only way that we, we, we need to deliver in the future and got a big wake up call because if you actually look at the numbers, 37% of working Canadians said that their preference would be in-person support. You know, having that ability to have that connection with someone else, which we're, which we're craving so much. But there's another 12% 
that said that they would like actually a combination of in-person and digital. So maybe having that, that in-person uh, approach, but maybe follow-ups and texts and things that allow them to do things in between those meetings. If you add those up together, it's almost half of the population. So this allowed us to sort of understand how important it was to continue to offer choice. So just like no, it's like all shopping is not going to be online, even though it was important and it's increased in, in adoption. All work is not going to be remote, even though we have an increase of it. The same in terms of the provision of care, that range of choice is, is, is extraordinarily important if we're going to continue to have a well-supported society.